You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 251. Janet Thompson and Spiritual Sassy Pants. Buckle up, friends. Welcome it's back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm delighted that you decided to pop in and listen to this episode. It's going to be a good one. I can guarantee that. Uh, if you enjoy the show, if you're a regular listener and your friends are talking about podcasts, you know, more people are listening to podcasts than ever have before. I'm sure it comes up once in a while just mention halfway there to them and suggest that they they listen. Uh, it would be a really uh, high honor for me. I'd appreciate that. All right. Today we have, I'm excited for this conversation. Um, it's going to be very enthusiastic. I know you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to walk away encouraged. Uh, our guest, she is an author and a speaker and an adventure enthusiast. And I think the word she said was shenaniganator. I don't know. Maybe I didn't get that right. Jana Thompson. Jana, welcome to halfway there. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I love it. Shenaniganator. So what, what's, what's your favorite shenanigan that you've pulled? Man, I'm just a big kid and I am enjoying my childhood. It's never too late to enjoy your childhood. <laughs> and I'm a 40 year old kid at heart. Um, and I love to instigate and puddle jump and um, hang upside down and climb around and goof off. I'm always up for for some fun, just like a kid. I'm a big kid. <laughs> I I love that. Although I'm 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 a little older than you, I think, but I am learning that my body doesn't like it as much as it used to either. That's <laughs> that's an interesting thing as you get older. Uh, <laughs> but that's good. So I love it. So we, you know, I give it broad kind of strokes about about what you do. But tell us kind of a little bit about who you are and where God has you right now. Awesome. Um, so although my name is Jana, a lot of my friends <laughs> tease me with the nickname Polly Punster. And I know that it's really weird, but we'll get to what weird means. Um, but basically, I'm kind of like equal parts Pollyanna, Rapunzel, and Esther. And so <laughs> that's why they call me Polly Punster. Um, I know, so weird. Um, I am a mom of four, and I um, actually have a recreation degree. <laughs> to be specific, my oh. title was leisure professional, which I ended up having to explain to a lot of people. <laughs> right. um, That's, that does sound a little suspicious. So I'll give you that. It does. It does. I was a climbing and repelling instructor and whitewater rafting guide and like a trip guide. Um, I did like nature programs at a nature center, um, worked at a, um, high ropes course, things like that. Um, yeah. So my title was leisure professional. Um, but <laughs> being a parent I've learned is, um, my greatest adventure. <laughs> yeah. I've been a stay at home mom for a decade and I am going on some pretty epic adventures. <laughs> yeah. And like right now you have something, you have stuff going on with one of your children, right? Yeah. Um, so she was diagnosed with a genetic condition and God intervened and spoke 
over her diagnosis um, and spoke to the heart of it, that when the Bible says that Jesus is the name above all names, that a diagnosis is nothing but a name that Jesus is over. And we have been living from victory with her instead of to victory with her. Um, so a few weeks ago, she had a bit of a relapse of a condition that we, um, like a complication from her diagnosis that uh, we had really believed had manifested complete healing. Um, but God was able to help us to see where the battle was and what was going on um, to give us a greater vantage point that um, it wasn't actually that like, quote, Clara was sick again. Um, it was that the enemy was pulling out all the stops um, as a last ditch effort to stop some of the forward motion that um, God had us going in in this season. So she hadn't had a hospital admission in about a year and, um, and suddenly had kind of three within the same couple weeks. Um, but she's great now. Um, and we've been able to stand on God's promises and do do battle from, from there, yeah. from victory, not to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So we have to talk about how you came into this because you're, you're using very, your, your part, maybe charismatic language is the right word, right? So did you grow up in a charismatic denomination or how did that tell me that story? <laughs> I did not. Okay. I did not. Um, so I grew up in a non-denominational church um, and Honestly, I don't know where they had roots, but they were very, very conservative, traditional. Um, you know, the, the kids behaved and you read from the hymnal um, and, you know, we had to, to know our place. Um, and yeah, um, I didn't really fit that mold very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very traditional church. And I don't know that I've ever been involved in a charismatic church per se. Um, God just got a hold of me and wrecked me with his goodness. And he's been teaching me the things of him. And they may look a little charismatic, um, but it's it's not from any sort of a, a church influence um, necessarily. It's just been time with him on my face, learning his character. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay. So the reason I ask is because those are things that you learn, right? So just like you said, you learned it. Yeah. Those are things that are part of the journey and they're probably significant inflection points in that journey. So those are some of the things I want to hear. So, okay. You said you grew up in sort of a traditional, you know, kind of non-denominational church, uh, but didn't fit the mold. So how did your, you know, it was Christian family, I guess, if you're going to church as a kid, how, how did your faith kind of how did you experience your faith and then how did it become your own? Awesome. I love that question. Um, <laughs> so my um, conversion, if you want to call it that, um, is not really like an event necessarily. Yeah. Although when I was five and my sister was 10, um, she led me in the sinner's prayer in the back of our station wagon. Yeah. Um, but it was basically because she told me that she was getting raptured and that ah. if I didn't say the sinner's prayer, I'd be left behind. She terrified you. She terrified yeah, her five-year-old yeah, sister. Like, I want to go with you. <laughs> I'm that. in, I'm in. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess I kind of always believed in God. I never really doubted the existence of God. Um, we were very active in our church, but um, my childhood was just wrought with um, such rejection and insecurity that um, I found it hard to believe that God was any different than the rejection I was experiencing. Um, so I was really kind of, I really broke the mold. My um, mom, my grandparents, really very proper. Um, and I just, I never was. Um, in all of my childhood pictures, I'm actually hanging upside down. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised, Jana. Just what I know of you. I'm not surprised. I was. Um, there's always a puddle to crush or, you know, a fort to build or like mud to play in. And I was just forever in trouble. I, I think my mom didn't appreciate my differences, um, but my dad got me. Um, sometimes I'd, I'd see him smiling or winking at me and, you know, he didn't want to get in trouble either. He didn't want to be too <laughs> approving, but... Um, so I kind of, because I experienced some rejection early on from my mom, I don't believe she was trying to reject me. She just didn't get me. Um, I kind of self-identified as a daddy's girl. Um, so then when I was, uh, when I was eight, um, actually kind of right before that, um, I started having nightmares and really just, I started seeing into the spiritual realm. I started um, just being really sensitive to what was around me. And uh, my mom just straight didn't believe me. Um, and my dad, I think, did believe me, but was really scared. Um, mm. Because, I mean, whether good, bad, or ugly, if you don't have a frame of reference for the spiritual realm, like no matter what you describe, it sounds scary. Right. Um, so I didn't have you know, strategies or terminology or anything for that being a gift. Um, because my mom didn't believe me and my dad, um, <laughs> I guess he believed me, but really just thought um, that it was scary. Um, I, I thought I was cursed. I thought that I had a curse. Oh, um, wow. That's traumatic yeah. as a, as a child. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, um, I just see things around me and describe them thinking everybody else saw them or experienced them. And, um, my mom looked at me like I was crazy. And my dad was like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, he, he was really so hyper scared of all of this that, um, he would have me open mail outside in case there was a demon attached to it or something. Oh, oh, um, wow. so yeah. What did that do for you? Man, oh, I just was scared all the time. And so on top of being scared, um, I really just, I wrestled with rejection. Um, uh, having identified as a daddy's girl and having, my, my dad left when I was eight um, and didn't take me with him. I mean, it was dramatic, kind of like hope floats, like the little girl, I guess her name's Birdie, like crying and running down the road. Take me, take me with you, daddy. Take me with you. Yeah. That really played out for me in real life. And my dad just zoomed down the road. Um, so I was left then with my mom who I didn't feel um, any form of acceptance. 
And my dad, my identity, my very identity was daddy's girl and he left and he didn't take me. So that left me feeling, that left me an orphan. I felt like an orphan. Mm. Um, And that kind of started a season in my childhood of um, really just striving and performing, trying to, I don't know, feel like I was good enough to be accepted or trying to identify as, well, I'm a dancer. Well, I'm an athlete. I am a singer in show choir. I am an AP student. Um, I, I tried all the things and it left me feeling so empty that I really withdrew into myself. Um, I, at one point really actually thought that I was invisible. Um, I felt so rejected and so unacceptable that I really tried to kind of tone it down. Um, dull my shine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, that's, that's like, the opposite of who you are now. So I'm sure that's an interesting yeah. story. So yeah. you had this kind of going on, you, you kind of felt really rejected. You went into high school and we're feeling like trying to, trying to do all the things, but still not really feeling seen. Wow. What, then what happened? Um, honestly, I, I was experiencing a high degree of rejection, not only at home, but from our church as well. Um, We went from being like members in good standing and the charter members of this new church plant to kind of the stigma, like the divorced family, ooh, that made the church look bad. Oh, yeah. And I I can say with honesty that I don't have church hurt at this point, but there was a season when I had to work through that. Um, We had a a pastor at the time who on Father's Day of all days, right? um, Mm -hmm. He made, we were all in the congregation. We were all sitting there in the sanctuary. And he said to um, the congregation, stand up if you are, And as best as I can remember, literally his phrase was the product of divorce, full well knowing that my family was the only one. And my brother and my sister and I were in the sanctuary. So the three of us stood up knowing that everybody knew and was looking at us. And my sister and my brother and I grabbed hands and we stood up together and we walked out of the church and my heart checked out of the church at that point. Yeah. We walked out and we got donuts together on Father's Day. And even as gosh, my sister, well, she'd hate me if I said her age, but we're now all adults. <laughs> <laughs> and for all of the Father's Days that we're together, we go out and celebrate on Father's Day by getting donuts. Wow. Yeah. That became really formative, right? Oh. So yeah, like church rejection and family rejection. And um I was diagnosed with ADD around that time. And I felt like, great, here's just one more thing that separates me from everybody that's normal. I felt even more unacceptable. Um, I was really kind of awkward (laughs) and I don't blame the other kids. I mean, I probably would have made fun of me too in in reality, like in hindsight. (laughs) But um, when you're the product of a lot of bullying, I mean, it messes with you. Yeah, it does. And I developed an eating disorder too. Um, I think it was maybe the end of middle school or like early high school. Um, And as I went through counseling for that, um, I learned that 
the reason that I defaulted to that was it hurt less to experience other people's rejection because it, it felt like hatred. Um, their rejection felt like hatred. And if I could be the first one to hate myself and to reject myself and to hurt myself, then it somehow numbed the pain of others rejecting me. It's like I was aligning with what they were saying. And if I was aligning with it. It didn't hurt as much. Um, so I really just kind of, I, I disappeared. I, I even had anxiety attacks too. Um, mm. high school graduation. I, um, I accident. well, no, it wasn't an accident. Um, I overdosed on some anxiety medicine because I was certain that I was going to pass out walking across the stage um, and I completely wiped my entire graduation out of my memory. I had no recollection of it because I, <laughs> I overdosed on anxiety medicine. So I was a, here in the South, we call it a hot mess. Oh, I was wow. a hot mess. <laughs> yes. In the South, where are you? I'm in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, okay. Greenville pronounced Greenville. Greenville. Yeah. 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 All right. Very good. <laughs> Uh, okay. So yeah, sounds like you had that, you had, you had a lot going on. How did that, how that, you know, did it change or like what, like how did, where'd that lead you? Well, I had this kind of critical moment. Um, I went away to college, uh, to a Christian college. Cause that's what all acceptable Christians did. You know, <laughs> they went to the Christian liberal arts college and yes. um, I got a track scholarship and, you know, I was like super big achiever. Where'd you go? Messiah College in Pennsylvania. Okay. Anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I did for a semester. Oh, okay. <laughs> then, um, so my track coach pulled me aside and um, he was very intuitive and he could tell that I was struggling. And he said, I'm, I'm not accusing you of anything, but until I actively see you gaining weight, I'm, I'm not going to run you. Um, and I kind of was just like, well, that's all I have. It's, and so, um, I really spiraled downward until I finally just dropped out of college. Um, but that was a great opportunity for me having experienced a lot of rejection because I contacted my dad and I asked him if I could come stay with him. I didn't want to face my mom having felt that I failed I felt like I failed my future and failed my family. Mm. And I hadn't told my mom that I was wrestling with an eating disorder. Um, and so I called my dad and he said, yeah, come stay with me. Um, so it was a great opportunity for me to reconnect with the identity that I had created for myself as daddy's girl. Um, and surely he would not reject me a second time. Um, you know, prodigal Jana is coming home to her dad when really it was my dad who left. Um, yeah. so that was a catalyst for the worst dark night of my soul. Um, okay. Let's hear that story. By, yeah. Yeah. A complete change of trajectory. Okay. Well, tell us that story. What's what, what happened? Um, I am not, um, I'm not advocating for suicide and I'm also not advocating for, um, putting God to the test for me. Um, what ended up happening is, um, when I moved in with my dad, uh, he had gotten remarried and, um, my stepmom was, uh, treated me pretty terribly. 
and my dad didn't stand up for me. So um, I experienced rejection again. Um, and one day, um, my dad was a doctor and, um, one day he was out of town speaking at a conference and my stepmom attacked me. Um, and I had to kind of run for my life. Um, that sounds dramatic, but, um, that's, that's what I felt like. Um, and moved in with a coworker, um, through what I could manage to get into my car, into my car, um, and, uh, moved in with a coworker. Um, and, uh, from there I put one night, um, I, I couldn't cope. I was just hopelessly depressed and I still believed in God, but felt like he had rejected me. Like that was the ultimate, um, I guess, defining thing about me that not even God could love me. Mm. Um, and I put a bottle of medicine on my dresser one night and, um, just put my sassy pants on and said, God, if you don't give me a reason to not take this medicine before 7am tomorrow, then I'm taking the entire bottle and we are going to talk face to face about why I'm so unacceptable to you. Um, and went to sleep, like fully prepared to talk to him face to face because the wow. God that I had experienced was not the God who intervened. He was the God who rejected. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so imagine my surprise when I fall asleep and I kid you not, um, <laughs> this is exactly what happened. I had never experienced the presence of God. And when you've never experienced the presence of God and suddenly you experience it, there is no missing it. There's no mistaking that that is God. And I swear to you that he walked into my room and he did it of all the things at four after the hour, each hour. And so like, maybe I went to bed at 10 or fell asleep at 10 at 10 Oh four, his presence came in my room and just enveloped me with love and just purpose and care and concern. And I don't even know what his presence did, but, um, I would fall back. It would be so overwhelming. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh. And then fall back asleep. And then like 1104, here he comes again. And I'm not even aware of him leaving. Maybe more me just falling asleep in his presence, but it was exactly four after every hour that I would wake up and encounter him and encounter his presence. I mean, you talk about like, we're getting to like three Oh four in the morning, four Oh four in the morning. I'm like, all right, all right. You love me. You've got hope. There's hope. You've got plans for me. And now I'm just sleepy. You can take the bottle. You can take the pills out of the room. I gotcha. Can you let me sleep? And I didn't realize until later the significance of the number four, Um, but like prophetically, the number four represents creation. And I really feel like from that encounter, I was recreated. I really feel like encountering his presence recreated me. He instilled hope in me and purpose in me. And um, more than just believed in him, I believed him. Mm, that's good. That's good. Cause it's a big difference, isn't it? It's one thing 
to believe that it exists. It's another thing to believe what he says about you is true. And to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him too. He's just, he's such a giving God. Um, I, I, at times just all the time, just get wrecked by his love and that he met me in that moment and he intervened that he loved me enough to do that. And it wasn't like, well, I can use you and use your testimony. So I guess I'll save you. It was, I love who you are. I love who you're going to be. I love who you were. I love the mess. I love it all. And I'm going to come in at four after all the time until you believe it. (laughs) Wow. That's astounding. And you, and you like just accepted this. You didn't go, oh, I'm going crazy. Like, that's what, that's what I feel like. The authentic presence of the Lord. Yeah. It strips away everything else. Doubt, fear, everything. It stripped it away. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So what happened then? So, um, I'm really thankful that I encountered him in that moment and started learning about him. Not going to church and reading the Bible. We're talking like ugly cry, face down, snotting on the carpet. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Um, And so this happened in, let's see, I think it was um, maybe like June or July of 2000. And I am so glad that it was that timing that I encountered him. Because in December of 2000, I was in this horrific car accident. Um, And, you know, it's bad when half of your stories start with, I couldn't make this up if I tried, but I promise you. It's engaging, Jana. It's good. Oh, God is so weird and he's so good. So um, I I just decided that I was going to buy a car. Like, I just woke up one day and I'm like, I think I'll buy a car. And it was uh, manual. And I, I had no idea how to drive a stick shift car. I just like, it was in my price range and bought it on the lot and was like, oh, I got to get this thing home. Um, so <laughs> this was maybe like in August or September. Um, and so I didn't ask anybody to teach me. I was just like, oh, I'll figure it out. Um, and so um Around the time I got the car, God also started dealing in my heart with, um, you know, you kind of, you kind of left your mom high and dry. Um, When I dropped out of college, I just called her and said, I have an eating disorder. I'm imploding. I'm moving in with dad. Um, Don't try to contact me. Um, It was kind of sticking it to the man. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You were like, okay, I'm I'm out. Yeah. 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 He, he, he convicted me of that. And, um, so I really felt like I needed to go home that Christmas. Um, that was December of, of, uh, 2000 and to mend my relationship with my mom. Um, I wanted to give her the chance to talk about, um, what she had experienced, um, and to apologize to her and to tell her, um, as cliche as it sounds, I found Jesus. (laughs) I'm good. I found Jesus. Um, so I was driving my car home on December 15th and went to merge onto the highway. And 
a kind of series of unfortunate events <laughs> happened. Um, I was inexperienced driving a stick shift car and simultaneously my power steering went out as I was merging Ooh. onto the highway. And as I started to kind of lose control of my car, um, as I was kind of merging onto I-95, um, I remember having this moment of, I don't know which pedal to push. Um, you know, do I push the clutch? Do I, what do I do? Oh no, that's not good. Get on the interstate. No, it was not. So um, the accident statistics, like they do a report afterwards and an investigation. Um, the speed limit was 70 and they think that I was at 55 and accelerating um, when I lost control and I kind of hit the median and the median was kind of U-shaped. And so going that fast, when you hit the median, I went airborne into oncoming traffic. And um, there happened to be a semi-truck coming in the opposite direction. And I collided uh, and they, the, um, I guess the statistics, the report said that um, the, truck was probably going right at around 70. So I was airborne at 55 miles an hour. Um, and at that point, it doesn't matter, matter what pedal you push. No. <laughs> um, and the truck was coming at me at 70 head on collision and the impact, um, caused just a massive explosion. I guess, um, it got the, the diesel fuel tank and, um, we exploded oh. and, I'm completely serious that that actually happened. Um, so this is where the story gets weird. Um, I, right. I love, it's not weird Jenna, now, I right? just gotta say uh, you're, you're fantastic. You're like, no, this is where it gets weird. Okay. I go ahead. It's about <laughs> to get worse. So okay. hang on, <laughs> hang on tight. Um, right. So if it's not weird enough that I survived and that, um, <laughs> My my car went, first of all, like smack head on into the truck. And then I got pushed down under the wheels. Um, and so then the truck ran over me and my car spun and it ran over me again. And there is a tiny, tiny bubble where I was sitting that was completely intact where the airbag worked and the crumple zones worked and the seatbelt worked and everything worked and I was unsquished. Um, and wow. so there's this fire, massive fire going on around me and um, I'm under the truck supposedly, but I didn't experience any of that. This is, this is where it gets so weird. <laughs> um, so I, was not there. I swear to you that I was not there. I didn't die. I was not like following the light or anything like that. I suddenly found myself just so peaceful on the ocean. And as I kind of took a minute to kind of feel out what was going on, I was watching myself as well as simultaneously feeling myself in this big vision and encounter with God, um, I was a little girl, maybe three years old, four, I don't know. And um, God himself was holding me and carrying me as we were walking across the ocean. It was a beautiful day for a stroll on the ocean. 
balmy breeze was blowing and I could, I knew that I was the girl because I could hear his heartbeat and I knew I was being carried by him. But I also was watching and knew that I had little red bows in my hair. Um, I had two braids and little bows in my hair and I could see them flapping in the wind. Um, and I had on a red dress with like a white blouse and I thought, well, phew, you know, that's pretty typical of probably what I would have worn and, um, had no clue that I had just been in this wreck. I was walking on the water with God and he didn't speak to me. We just, I, I knew his heart and I knew that he knew my heart and I felt like he was asking me as a little girl, um, what do you want to see? You can see anything. What do you want me to show you? And as a little girl, I was like, I want to see fish. And instead of like looking down and seeing fish, he moved his arm in an upward motion and caused three or four fish to just come up out of the ocean. And they were swimming kind of around my face and they tickled my nose and I laughed and I smiled and I, I, looked up and that's the first time I saw the face of God and he was crying and it was not that he was sad. It was not that anything was wrong. It was not that his heart was breaking. He was just so delighted in me and delighted that something that he created brought me such joy. Watching me experience those fish mm. was the experience for him. Wow. And I knew the depth of his love, like, like no other. Um, of course, that abruptly ended when I kind of came to. And um, again, it's weird because after they, so the Honda, it was a Honda that I was driving. So the Honda Corporation did this investigation. Obviously, Highway Patrol did, the insurance companies. Um, I was on the news, um, WNCT, which is a, a local news station uh, did a story on me um, and they called me the Christmas miracle. And that's because all of these stories collaboratively, all of these investigations collaboratively could not determine why I wasn't dead. Um, yeah. I had glass like in my face um, and burns from the airbag, like the, the uh, windshield shattered. So I had glass in me. Um, it, it was very obvious that I was in the car for impact there were witnesses that um, testified to not seeing me fly out of the car. I was not thrown from the vehicle. Yet when, um, by the time the car exploded and other people were on the scene to try to help, I was in the median. Now, I couldn't have gotten out myself because my car was under the truck. Um, nobody could have gotten me out because everything was on fire. And... Um, I had injuries that were consistent with being in the vehicle, not being thrown from the vehicle. Yet when the first people were on the scene, I was in the median. Um, so I woke up from my vision in the median, um, thinking, oh my gosh, did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. What did you make of it? How did you interpret that whole experience? I didn't have a scope for it. Mm. I think that I didn't even try to understand it. I just took with me appreciation for my life. Um, the truck driver was uninjured. 
uh, the insurance company said, don't contact each other, you know, thinking it was this big deal. And he found me on Christmas day and called me crying saying, I just found out you're not dead. I thought I killed a, a, a little girl on her way home for Christmas. I have a daughter myself and I couldn't have lived with that. And he was fine. And after wow. three days in the hospital with a concussion and a broken collarbone, they're like, we can't keep you in the hospital for broken collarbone. I mean, they called a helicopter in and everything. They were certain that I was at death's door that, and took me to a trauma center. Wow. Um, three days later, they're like, um, we can't keep you here. <laughs> and I'm like, good. Cause I don't want to stay. Right. Um, so I didn't, I didn't think about it too much. I took from it just gratitude for life and an understanding of, wow, I think that there's probably some purpose in me or God, mm. what a straight, let me be taken out. Um, and those right. were kind of my takeaways. Yeah. But that's a, that's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, to go from feeling very rejected to feeling like you have a purpose. Man, it was like a 180 in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us about that. Like, what, what did you do then? Well, I, I just think back and I think just God's pursuit of me was way greater than my ability to wander and reject him, than my ability to hide from him, than my ability to misunderstand him. His pursuit of me was greater. Um, and how can you not fall in love with somebody who's pursuing you to that degree? Um, so um, life was not like perfect or anything. Um, I ended up meeting my husband and he, he first heard about me because a pastor of a church that I was um, frequenting uh, happened to mention that a girl who was going to the church was in a terrible car accident and could, could everybody please stand and pray. I didn't even know that they knew my name, um, <sighs> but my husband was going to that church at the time and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I was introduced to him, he's like, you're that girl. And I'm like, oh. yeah, which one? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I had totaled my car. Right. And, um, it took a while for insurance and, you know, everything. And, um, it took me a while to get another car. And, um, so my husband and I actually started dating because he started driving me to church. I needed a ride to church. Um, I was a college student at East Carolina University um, studying recreation at that point and didn't have a ride to church. He's like, I'll take you. So we kind of started dating in the car on the way to church. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's a good way to start. Go, go to church for dating for a date. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and he is. Oh my gosh. He's, I don't know if he's a saint or an angel. The man is incredible. Um, <laughs> and I, I constantly feel very lucky. Um, we've been married for 17 and a half years and I'm not being disingenuous. Um, nobody is more for me. And, um, you know, I feel like some spouses can give their wife permission to be themselves, but not every spouse will give not every husband will give their wife um, support in being who they are and in living out what God has called them to. He bends over backwards to support me and to encourage me and to cover me in prayer and to, to intercede for me. Um, and his constant unchanging love of me has been 
probably the greatest tangible representation of God's love mm. that I could ever experience. I really grew um, kind of as a result of just being loved by my husband. He's the man. Well, that that's good. That's amazing. And I love the, I love that endorsement. I mean, that's, you know, in a world that needs more uh, solid relationships and marriages, that's really wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. I love that. Okay. So, so you met your husband and, and married him then after that, what, uh, how, tell me about us about, um, sometimes I'll ask about like a dark night of the soul, but did you, did you maybe, did you have one of those? Maybe you had that kind of early, uh, that you described earlier, or did you coming out of the accident have just this like sort of fire? How, I guess what I want to know, let me ask it this way. So tell me how you went from, you know, little girl who felt rejected and then having this experience and where that took you and how you like, okay, I've got a purpose. What, what did that create? What, what fire did that light in you? Well, it was a process. And to answer the dark night of the soul question, there were too many to count 50, 11 dark nights of the soul. <laughs> and I, I joke with God, God gets me and I'm not worried about him smiting me. Um, so I just, I put my sassy pants on and I storm his throne all the time. And I'll be like, you did this and you did that. And I feel this and, you know, just kind of let it all out. But where did you learn that? How'd you learn that? So, um, probably a, a series of events. Um, and my, my dark nights of the soul look like me putting my sassy pants on. Um, and I feel like he's like, yay, she's got her sassy pants on. Here she comes. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Can I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta talk about that for just a second because <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. I talk about this maybe too much, maybe every episode, but I talk about Habakkuk and how he Habakkuk goes to God and says, Hey, I don't like what's happening. What are you going to do about it? And God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And he goes, no, I don't like that. I don't like them. You can't do that. And God says, well, don't worry. I'm going to take care of them too. And then Habakkuk goes, Oh, that's awesome. Okay. I get it. You're good. Right. And he ends up worshiping. That's my summation of, you know, scripture, but that, but that whole thing, I think what we learn is that God loves for us to do, as you say, put your sassy pants on and go and give him a challenge and say, Hey, because what he wants is not just people who blindly follow him. He wants a relationship with us. And so you, what I'm hearing you describe is you going, okay, I get, I have this relationship with the Lord, or you're saying you have this relationship with the Lord where you can go and talk to him really about anything and in any way, however you're feeling. And he hears it and he responds. That, do you know how unusual that is? I, it was trial and error. Eric. Okay. I was certain that he would smite me. Um, I mean, for example, one time um, I stormed his throne and I was like, Hey, <laughs> I love your gaze. I love your voice. I love your presence. And you've given me none of that. And I think I've been like, where, where have you been? You big jerk. Um, really did. And then I sang to him. Um, I don't even know the name of the song, but it's like, say something I'm giving up on you <laughs> and I'm um, saying it to him. And I'm like, you got to give me a reason to love you. Cause if you're not 
if you're not pursuing me and if I don't get to see you gaze at me and I don't get to hear your voice and your presence is not coming in my prayer closet, then I'm about to give up on you. So you better say something. Um, and I really do. I, I mean, it's been a series of those, um, starting with not long after my wreck. This was probably the first time that I did this with him. I was like, all right, God, uh-huh. you say in your word that you that I have not because I ask not and that you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever wish for or hope for. And I need a car. So this is my list of things that I need. Go find that car for me. And it was, it was a challenge. It was like, mm-hmm, you say this. I was almost like I was trying to prove that he was wrong. Um, and I had met my husband at this point and I told him that I was testing God. And he was the one who came to see me on campus one day, white as a ghost. He was, I mean, dude is pale already, but I mean, he was like, <laughs> he was straight Casper, man. And he's like, oh my gosh, your car exists. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. I mean, I, I asked him for something that doesn't exist. I mean, he, he didn't invent a car. And my husband's like, yeah, yeah, he did. I was like, God, I need a red or black car, a Honda or a Toyota, it needs to be a convertible and um, I can't spend more. And I don't even know what my budget was, but this is my budget and it needs to have this amount of miles or less. Um, there you go. Boom. And so help me got in my boyfriend, who's now my husband's car at the time we went to look at the, at the car. Um, so Honda makes this car called a Del Sol, which oh, is yeah. a hard top, right? Yes. It was under the amount of miles. It was red. It was a convertible, in, in my opinion. Um, it was good enough. Um, and the only thing was, it was like 500 more than whatever my budget was. Um, and so I was like, ha, <laughs> gotcha. And uh, my husband was like, how about you call the owner and ask them if they'll go under your budget? And I was like, all right, yeah. So I called him and I'm like, mm, this is my max budget and kind of told him the story. Turns out he was a pastor. He started crying. He sold me the car for even less than the 500 off, put new tires and new brakes on, like gave it a new paint job and then used the story of me challenging God as his sermon the next Sunday. And so I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so Warren, a lightning bolt was coming, but here I am in this pretty cool car. So instead, okay. So two things, number one, it's amazing that God like just did that. And number two, uh, I'm astounded that you were willing to get into a convertible after that car accident. <laughs> like that, that's just, that, that's impressive, you know, but you know, Eric, that's, that's a story too. Cause I had panic attacks. Yeah. After the wreck. Um, and I actually did for that. The wreck was what, like 21 years, no, 20 and a half years ago. And for about 17 years, sometimes when I drove, especially merging onto the highway, I had panic attacks. Um, and God completely wrecked me and revolutionized my thinking using second Corinthians five seventeen. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. And I thought that life was kind of this giant collection of 
you know, baggage and generational curses and all this stuff and the ancestral, ancestral stuff and, you know, whatever. And you carry it around and, um, you know, you don't really overcome it, but you learn to cope with it. And as he gave me revelation of that verse, I realized how can any of this stuff follow me if I changed bloodlines? I'm a new creation. Like literally old Jana is gone. That stuff can't touch me. And from that moment on, not even one anxiety attack, no panic attacks, like anything. He changed my body by changing my mind through that scripture, by helping me to understand the inheritance that was in him when he recreated me. Yeah, super powerful. I'm convinced that we don't take our identity in Christ like what you just described seriously enough. There's so much to that. And if we uh, stop thinking of ourselves as terrible sinners and start thinking of ourselves as the children of God, we might see some things happen in our churches, but uh, okay. So interesting. So you challenge God and you're like, okay. And and you kind of, it sounds like you've developed this relationship with him back and forth over, over time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about as well, kind of the just idea of talking to God. Do you, do you have any other, um, kinds of, of experiences and did you, or did you have a mentor in that? Or like, how did you kind of develop the, those things? Eric, your podcast is not long enough for all of these <laughs> stories and encounters. <laughs> He daily shows up. He rewards those who seek him. Um, And prayer, I learned a very valuable lesson that prayer was never meant to be a monologue. It's always meant, he's always meant for it to be a dialogue. And so really I have a legit prayer closet where I legit get I mean, I, sometimes I sit on a bean bag. I even a bean bag chair. So I even put a uh, hammock in there at one point <laughs> until um, my husband said I was going to yank some of the brackets out of the wall. Um, <laughs> so um, no, I literally I go in there and kind of sometimes I present my case and then listen. Sometimes I ask him, "What's on your heart? Um, what are you dreaming about?" Um, learned that from Lana Vosser, um, and what where are you working and how can I join you there? And I'll listen. And it's not even just the event of being in my prayer closet. It is um, living life. I, I guess it's called like walking in the spirit. Although I never, you know, fully was like, I think I'm going to walk in the spirit. Yeah. Um, I think that that's maybe just what it's called, but I'm in, I'm, communicating with him in like in all parts of my life all day, every day. Um, and so, you know, there's never really an interruption in that. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing and wonderful. And I, I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, I realized, I just realized we're, so we've been going for a while. I love hearing these stories because these are the kind of experiences that I think are, they're a little bit aspirational to hear, right? Like, Hey friends, this is available to you. You you can speak to the Lord this way. You can ask him and he will respond. But you got to ask and you got to be quiet and listen and just get, yeah. get your soul quiet a little bit. There's some good places to go do that. I like to go to Sacred Heart Retreat Center here in Sedalia, but there's a lot of mm-hmm. good places like that. Okay, so friends, do that. 
let me ask you, because we kind of started to talk about this a little bit about your daughter. So I know you have a story there too. Tell, yeah. tell us that story. So, um, she was born. So, okay. It starts with an infertility diagnosis. Um, I, I didn't want kids even told, um, my husband when we were dating and like, mm, if this is a deal breaker for you, you know, there's still time for you to get out, but I'm really wanting to do this like epic adventure with God and, um, loving my career as, um, you know, an outdoor recreation person. And I, I'm not going to be able to, I don't want kids. I don't want kids. Plus, if you've been paying attention, I'll probably profoundly and irreversibly screw them up. So (laughs) there's still time for you to get out if you want kids. Cause I mean, I was, I was firm. Um, and he's like, it's all good. It's all good. And I thought that he was just agreeing with me and didn't know until later that it was because he knew me better than I knew myself. And he knew that at some point I'd want kids. Um, so when, um, so I, we had been trying to have kids, I think for a couple of years, um, and ended up going to the doctor and, um, received an infertility diagnosis and the doctor leveled with me and said, this type of infertility, you know, you really might not ever have kids, um, we'll work with you, but, um, you might not ever have kids. So how, how far do you want to go with this? Um, and I was devastated boy, talk about put your sassy pants on. I stormed his throne again. And I'm like, on a biological level, I can't do what you created for me to do. What does that mean for me? What does that say about me as a woman? I was wrecked. Yeah. Mess. I had seen probably a couple hundred negative pregnancy tests and it was received as disappointment and failure. And, um, you know, I, biologically, I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was created to do. Um, and eventually I got to the end of myself. I was just exhausted from fighting God. And I again, laid down on the carpet, ugly crying and snotting everywhere. And was just like, okay, I surrender. I'm sick of fighting you. It was just more coming to the end of myself. Um, and I said, well, you know, your word says, again, challenging him, your word says that you make beauty from ashes and all I have is ashes, but I believe that you will make beauty and I surrender the definition of beauty. I leave that to you. If it is a beautiful child one day, great. If it's a beautiful life, a beautiful testimony, a beautiful career, a beautiful relationship, I leave the definition of beauty to you. And five weeks later, I got pregnant on my own. I mean, not, not on my own, but <laughs> know what you mean. Yeah. Without medical treatment. Naturally. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and <laughs> that's, I, even my doctor, my OB, um, I thought I was pregnant. I felt a little different, went in and was like, I can't look at another negative pregnancy test. My heart can't take this. And so he, brought the results of the pregnancy test in and even he was crying. Um, and he's like, I've just never seen this and I can't think of someone more deserving. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, so after that infertility diagnosis, um, we had, um, a boy and then a girl. And then the story that, um, you're kind of drawing out of me is the story of Clara. She's my third. Um, When each of my children were born, immediately, the first moment that I had with them, 
I took their tiny little selves in my hands and I lifted them up to the Lord because I knew that if I didn't give them back first to him, then I never would. If I never, if I didn't surrender my child right away to him, then I never would. I'd fall in love with them and want to keep them. Yeah. (laughs) So when Clara was born, um, we didn't know that anything was not really right with her. Um, And when she was born, she wasn't breathing. Um, And my husband was videotaping and they kind of motioned for him to cut the the video off. And um, everybody kind of crowded around her and then rushed her out of the room. And of course, a a mama's heart says, what's wrong with my baby? And are they okay? And there's not answers in that moment. They just, they took her to the NICU. Um, and I yelled at my husband to stay with her, like, go with her. I'm okay. Go with her. Yeah. Um, and the first report, um, they, they wouldn't let him go. So he's like, there's nothing I can do. And, um, I, I was stable and he went to lunch and that's when, um, the OB came into the room and said, where's your husband? And I'm like, oh my gosh, is she dead? Um, they said, no, but we need, we don't want to have to talk to you alone. I think that you're going to need him here. We need to talk to both of you. Um, and so I called him and said, you've got to get here. Something's wrong. Um, and the first report that we got was that, um, Clara most likely had down syndrome. Um, and that she, they had gotten her stable, but that she, she was really having trouble transitioning. Um, they told us that it would probably be um, a couple of months in the NICU. Wow, because she was born at full term. Yeah. So immediately after crying, God prompted me in my heart to stand on what he had spoken about her. Um, and, um, he just, he had given us some promises for all of our kids. And at that moment, that's all I had to stand on. Um, and I said, you know what, God, where there's no way you make a way when no one else can reach us, you find us. And my daughter's in the NICU, go find her. Um, she's, she's not okay, but you can make a way. And I started just like dispatching angels. And I'm like, what do you need, God? I'll, I'll rebuke. I will, I'll rebuke, whatever. I will declare, whatever. I will ask, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll, whatever. Um, and when I finally got to meet her, um, she was hooked up to so many little machines and, um, I thought, wow, you know, no, no, this is not my daughter's destiny and started just declaring over her. You're getting out of here. This is not what God has for you. God came to give you hope in a future. You have abundant life right now. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. This is death, loss, and destruction, and you're not called to that. And just started speaking over her, declaring over her, singing over her. She started responding. And the neonatologist said, well, we thought it would be a couple of months, but now it'll probably be, you know, a week or so. She's doing well. And um, that night, the, the night that she was born, I spent the night there speaking over her. And by the next day, they said, really, she might just be here a couple of days. She's doing well. And by the next day, which was the day after she was born, they surprised me and brought her into the room and said, she's stable. Literally everything about her is stable. She can go home. And I thought, you're kidding me. (laughs) So in like, I don't know, 20 hours or so, she went from 
like not being okay to, you know, four months or a couple months in the NICU to a couple of weeks to a couple of days to, oh, you can take her home. Um, and so um, to summarize, uh, there were still some things that were not quite right about her, um, some things that I noticed. Um, and her first Christmas, she was born in May, and her first Christmas she spent in the hospital. Um, she um, had a, a couple of holes in her heart. She had pneumonia, like all of these things we were starting to discover were wrong with her. Um, and um, one of the attending physicians came in and said, um, we're going to run a genetic test. Um, and we ended up getting the results. And sure enough, she was diagnosed with a genetic condition. And in that, in the name of that condition is the word deletion. So it's distal 18 Q microdeletion, whatever that means. Right. Yeah. So Christmas night, Christmas Eve, I'm, it was Christmas Eve. I'm on the floor in the hospital. I just said goodbye to my husband and my other kids. We didn't even tell him it was Christmas Eve because you know, what can you do? Yeah. Right. Um, and since Clara was in the hospital, we didn't even have time to, um, put, we monogrammed a stocking for each of our kids to put up on the mantle. Um, and I remember thinking it's a good thing. I didn't get that monogrammed. I don't know if we're going to have use for that stocking next year. That was the honest reality. Oh, wow. that we were living. Which is so hard, right? As a parent. I mean, that's, that's just. And again, you wonder where's God. That's, that's yeah. what I did. And so I put my sassy pants on, I sat on the hospital floor and I cried out to him, where are you? You were making beauty. And again, I'm in a pile of ashes. I'm on the floor of a hospital fighting for my daughter's life on Christmas. And again, that unmistakable presence that silences all the fear and objections, it came in the room. And if he hadn't have handled things exactly like he did that night, I don't think that I could have listened to him because Eric, what he mm. did is I felt like he put a robe or a blanket around both of us and he wrapped himself in my sadness with me. I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had the authority. I wouldn't have given him an ear um, if he was speaking to me from outside of my sadness, but he mm. became my sadness so that he could speak to me from within that sadness. And he said, I know what it's like to worry about your child on Christmas Eve. And I thought, oh, dear God. <laughs> Maybe just and, a little, right? Oh, man, right. He was version one of worry about your child on Christmas Eve, right? Right. Um, and he said, I just want to remind you, I'm the name above all names. And a diagnosis is nothing but a name. Um, and I had learned that I, in 2008, I found out that I had cancer. Um, and um, he, he took me through just a process of learning that really, truly, he is who he says he is. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do, which is heal. Um, and he reminded me of that, um, with Clara and he said, no, her, there's no lack in my kingdom. There's no void in my kingdom. You got to rename her diagnosis. And, um, he prompted me to 
um, kind of scratch out on the board in the hospital where it said um, microdeletion and to write microcompletion because God was speaking completion over her. And the words that he sent out, um, the Bible tells us that they will accomplish what he sent them out to do. So um, we started, um, I, I learned the power um, over the next few days of the spoken word of God. I mean, you think about in Genesis 1-2, when the spirit hovered over the water, how long was it there? What was it waiting for? Everything was void. And then we find out, then the Lord spoke and said, let there be light. The spirit was waiting for the voice of God, for God to speak. And in that moment when it spoke, every life-sustaining thing began to be created. And so we started taking everything that, um, that the doctor said was wrong with Clara. She had like 19 specialists and we started declaring the opposite over her and declaring God's word over her. And to this day, I mean, she's almost six to this day. Um, every night we say, Clara, you're strong, tall, verbal, mobile, capable, complete, and brave. You can do hard things. Um, you have healing in your hands because she's the first to lay hands on somebody else and to pray for them. Wow. Um, yeah. And your and um, we added you're smart and you're balanced. Um, and all of those were scripture references that backed up the opposite of what she was diagnosed with. And Eric, she's been healed of literally everything. She had two holes in her heart. One closed, the other's closing. Um, Her geneticist found a tumor in her eye um, and said, get to an ophthalmologist. We're looking at cancer um, and and said retinoblastoma. So we um, took communion, prayed over her, anointed her head, thanked Jesus for his goodness and just declared the, our circumstances don't determine the goodness of God. The goodness of God determines the truth about our circumstances. And Clara, you are complete. And we took her to Duke, which is kind of the authority in our area. Um, and it took several hours for the ophthalmologist there to be like, okay, we saw the tumor on the pictures, but we can't find it. It's like, it's nowhere. We were told that she would um, have an 80% chance of dying from an epileptic event. Um, she was cleared of epilepsy uh, when she was six months old. We were told she'd need a feeding tube um, because she had a swallow disorder. Nope. Um, I found a treatment. She responded so well. She's actually the poster child for the treatment now. Um, wow. she, we were told she'd never walk or talk. She talks. She sings. She speaks in paragraphs. She's the first to use her voice to pray over others. She dances. She runs. She sings. Literally everything that was supposed to happen with her didn't happen. And it's because of the spoken word of God over her. Oh, that's amazing. I I love that. Um, yeah, that's so, so just astounding. And I think, you know, God has been really faithful to you in that, in that sort of, you know, wrestling through all that. If, I live a million years. I will still never be able to get past. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I can't, I can't even get past that. Everything else, you know, is just details because that's where he got me. The one last thing I want to talk about is you have, um, 
your uh, project Shine, right? Tell me about that. What are you doing there? So again, that was birthed out of this encounter I had with God. Um, So just a little context. um, When Clara was in the hospital, after God kind of wrecked me um, by giving me perspective about um, what was really going on, I felt like... um, you know, light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Maybe Clara's not sick. Maybe he has dispatched us to the darkest place, which is a children's hospital. We were um, in the KISU, which is for the immune compromised children. Um, so we were surrounded by children with cancer. Um, and I thought, wow, he's dispatched us to the darkest place. And so I was like, I am going to give hell hell here. I really was. Um, and so I would, Clara was like six months old. I would pull her around the hall of the hospital in a little red wagon and kind of push her IV pole with me. And I'm not kidding you. I would pray for anyone who would let me. And I was straight going for it. I'm like, I believe no, you. you're going to be healed. Yeah. Um, and um, so word kind of got around and the chaplain came up to kind of see what was going on in the issue, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to investigate. And she came in Clara's room and she took her shoes off when she entered the door because the presence of God hit her so hard. And wow. she said, I came to see what was going on in here and to pray for you. And she said, but this is holy grounds. Will you pray for me? And I was like, yeah, I'll pray for you. And mm. I'm going to pray for your mom and I'm going to pray for your dog and you're going to get healed. <laughs> and so is your dog. And so we had a friend um, or it was, I guess it was a nurse said, oh, I see that you're praying for people. You're doing that thing that Todd White does. And I'm like, cool. Yes, we are. Who's Todd White? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I hadn't heard of him. And so I looked him up um, on YouTube or something and I'm like, oh, Todd White he makes what I'm doing look good. Cause I'm just like, I'm gonna pray for you. Come here. You want to get, you pray for you. I'm going to pray for you and you can then pray for you and everybody's going to get healed. And then we were praying that, um, you know, there'd be more empty beds and that wings would shut down and that every single nurse and doctor in there would lose their job. I mean, it was like crazy. Um, Wait, <laughs> yes. I, did you see some, anybody get healed? I have no idea. I really, seriously, I have no idea. Um, I was just kind of glitching and spazzing out with extra like Jesus power and love or something. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't even know if anybody got healed. And some people may have gone home and you never know. Right. But, uh, you never know. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Just curious. So I then decided that I really wanted to learn what Todd White was doing because he made it look way better than I did. And I want to be serious about it because, you know, Jesus didn't just die to keep, um, to get me into heaven. He died to get heaven into me. And there's authority that comes with that. If Jesus is the expressed will of the father, then looking at his life and doing what he does we know that because Jesus healed, it's God's will to heal people. So why are we wasting time saying, if it's your will, God? And so I just like a crazy girl was like, 
be healed in Jesus name. You be healed, arm, heal in Jesus name. And didn't know what I was doing and wanted to learn. So I enrolled in the school of power and love. And um, on the last day, um, Todd actually asked me to come on stage and, um, I don't know, I don't know how it happened. I really don't know if somebody told him Clara's story or, um, how I got on stage, but I got to give Clara's testimony, um, in front of a conference of about like 24, 2,500 people. And then 200,000 people streamed it live. That's crazy. So, people began to um, just like cheer for God and weep. And I realized in that moment on stage that I would go through any of that again. I would watch my daughter go through that again. I would go through that again if it meant that other people would encounter God. Um, and I, my testimony, um, I've got it on a YouTube video. Um, I was given no time to prepare. I was, I was on my way out of the auditorium and then called the stage and I didn't even know why they called me on stage. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> talk about surrender. God, you're going to have to get this out of my mouth. Cause I don't know you're what like, I'm supposed to talk about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, project shine then, um, was kind of birthed from, that event, um, after I got off of the stage, um, I spent a minute alone with God and, um, I felt like he was holding me and singing over me. And of all things, it was the song, you are my sunshine. And I knew it was him. Uh. And it was a moment of permission. It was a moment of commissioning. It was a moment where I understood that, he made me shiny. He made me extra. I'm just like, I'm the crazy, <laughs> enthusiastic, extra shiny girl. And that no one um, will value from me dulling my shine. And I just felt permission to be shiny and to be just like all out of the closet is just a massive shiny person. Um, and just felt like it was okay to be extra. So as an action step, after feeling kind of permission and commissions, um, I started Project Shine, didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, that was in 2017, didn't know what it was going to look like, but I was just, I was going to be shiny and I was going to be shiny for him because he created me to be shiny. Um, and it turned into a blog and five years later, I didn't realize that I was impacting as many people as I was. Um, it was just an action step I love that, or a step of obedience. Um, and, um, I, I say this with, um, a sincerely, like just a sincerely humble heart. Um, cause it still, it wrecks me every time I'm having strangers come up to me and, and tell me, I know who you are. Um, you're Jana. Wow. And, um, I have been reading your blog. I look forward to what you have to say. Um, it's encouraged me. Um, you know, I'm, I've had a dark night of the soul. And then I, I read something that you said and God used it to speak life to me. Um, and it started happening often enough that I thought, you know what, maybe others really, really need to understand the heart of God and need to understand that he's weird because he doesn't do things in the way that we think that right. he's going to do. 
Um, and after a long time of calling God weird and calling his ways weird and my stories weird, he prompted me to look up the definition of weird. Have you ever looked it up, Eric? No. What does it say? Truth. The archaic definition of weird is pertaining to destiny. Oh. And when I read that, I was like, God, yes, I want to be weird like you. Yeah, you pertain to destiny. I want to too. So I'm just all over. I, I, I'm just a giant goofball. Now. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I don't think you have to read too far into scripture to figure out that God has a little bit of a weird streak, right? He definitely loves to do things differently and to astound people. And I think you're right. Like just to see how people react. I think sometimes he loves that. He wants people to be astounded by him. And that's because he is pretty cool. I love that. Um, Jana. Okay. That's fantastic. I love so much of what you said. Like it's just such a fascinating journey with God. And I thank you for sharing it so much and so deeply and so, uh, profoundly, I may have to call this episode spiritual sassy pants. I don't know. We'll find out and uh, we'll see just because it's funny, but, um, <laughs> at least you like it. I don't know that uh, I, if I imagine the, the pictures that I search to find, you know, background for that are not going to be, they're not going to be appropriate, but that's okay. Anyway, the uh, I appreciate you being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, yeah. I If there's anything that I would want somebody else to get from my story, I would want them to never fall for the trap of thinking that God has rejected them based on the misconception misconception or misperception of how he communicates, how he pursues, how, who he is. I mean, he's not what we were taught. What a lot of us were taught he was, he's not in that box, man. He yep. is living a grand adventure on the outside and he's not rejected us. He's been there all along pursuing us. We just haven't had the scope for it. And he wants to teach us because he wouldn't, he doesn't want us to live one moment feeling rejected or feeling disconnected from him. Um, his love is weird and like relentless. I love that. Absolutely. I go back to it all the time. Uh, you know, you can find it throughout scripture, but in the, at the very end in revelation, uh, it says, and God will make his dwelling with the people, right? I will be their God and they will be his people. And it's so appropriate for it to be pulled in back there because it actually happens throughout scripture. That that one little line shows up in the Psalms and the prophets and it's all over the place because that's what God wants. Just exactly what you said. Love it, love it, love it. Friends, this is available to you. He's available to you. That's the life that uh, you're called to. All right. Jana, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Guys, projectshineproject.com. Is that right? Projectshineproject.com is where I am soon going to house my blog. Um, it's getting ready to launch. And as I publish my book um, later this summer, it's a book called Weird God. Um, details about that. Well, all right. Love that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> or maybe sassy pants. Maybe um, spir yeah, spiritual sassy pants. That's fantastic. Yes, that will be there too. Um, 
and I have a YouTube page and my blog is currently on Project Shine on Facebook. Um, and I'm Janelyn Thompson on Facebook and stay tuned to um, Project Shine Project. It will launch very soon. Fantastic. All the links are at halfwaytherepodcast.com. As always, friends, thank you so much for being here, Jana. It was great. Thank you for having me. I had fun. Mm-hmm.